So if you would, please open your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we'll be going through verses 6 through 13, where Pastor Chad left off. So as we heard from Pastor Chad last Sunday, um, Paul had to flee from persecution in Thessalonica, which forced him to leave the new Christians to fend for themselves in the church he had established there. We learned last week of how Paul had an intense longing to return to them, but was not able. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Because of this hindrance and the frustration that Paul was experiencing from not knowing what was going on with the church there in Thessalonica. And you remember when I preached a couple Sundays ago, we talked about how he loved that church as a mother and a father. So there was a deep love and intense longing that Paul had to be with them. The scripture says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. I can almost see Paul pacing the room as he writes those words. Though Paul made it clear to those new believers, those new Christians, that suffering is a part of the faith, he was still worried that the suffering that the Thessalonians had experienced was going to cause them to fall away from the faith. So something had to be done and something had to be done fast. Since Paul was a wanted man, he couldn't go himself, so he decided to send Timothy. So our passage this morning picks up with Timothy's good report about the faith of the Thessalonian Christians. Read with me 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Lord Jesus, we thank you for another opportunity to gather in the place of worship, in the house of God. Lord, it's such a blessing that we were able to make it here one more time. Lord Jesus, we are living in a world and a culture that is on fire, Father, and I thank you for the word. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for what you have done, what you have provided for us, that we would have the roadmap, that we would have a clear sight and clear vision of what we are to do as your people, regardless of what the world is doing. Father, I pray that you would bless this message this morning. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, our minds, our souls, Lord God. Would you minister to us as you've ministered to me and let this be something useful for our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure most of us have heard the saying, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. 
teach a man how to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime, right? As I thought about this quote, I couldn't help but think of how closely it relates to parenting. Isn't that essentially what we want for our children? That they would one day be able to fish for themselves? Of course it is. And why? Because as parents, we know that there's a day coming where we're not going to be around and we're not going to be able to rescue them from their various situations and things that go wrong in their lives. There's going to come a point in every believer's life where they're going to have to stand firm based on what they have learned, been taught, and has been invested and poured into them. So they'll have to, at some point, stand on their own two feet. Previously, we learned how Paul acted as a mother and father toward the Thessalonians. With that same concept in mind, Paul, in the previous two chapters, explained how the church was born and nurtured. But now in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, and in particular verses 6 through 13, which are our focus this morning, we see Paul dealing with the next steps in maturity of the new Christians in Thessalonica, which is how the church is to stand firm in the faith, even in the midst of persecution. And a side note, not only were they dealing with the persecution that they had, they also were without their leader, the guy who brought them to faith in Jesus Christ. However, just as a good parent doesn't just cut off all counsel and instruction to their children once they reach a certain age, once they become adults, Paul doesn't do that either. This morning, we'll look at two means or tools Paul used to help bring the new Christians in Thessalonica into Christian maturity. The first thing he did was he wrote them a letter. You might be tempted to say, how is writing a letter to people being persecuted going to help them? Well, if you or I wrote that letter, it might be useless or maybe of a little bit of help. But we're not Paul, right? Paul's letters are the inspired word of God that is passed down that we have today to look at and to see what they went through. As 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. See, doctrine tells us what is right. So doctrine or teaching tells us what is right. Reproof tells us this is not right. Correction tells us how to get right. And instruction tells us how to stay right. So there's nothing better that Paul could have given to these new believers than the word of God, than this letter that he wrote. Did you know that these first few chapters of Thessalonians actually cover all, pretty much all of the doctrines of the Bible? That's really interesting to me. Paul covers sin, salvation, the doctrine of the church, the work of the ministry, and the doctrine of the last things in his letter. So he was hoping to make these new converts be fully equipped. He was teaching them biblical doctrine, as we can see here, and he crammed tons of it in in a short amount of time because he needed them to be ready to deal with the things that they were facing in their world. So if you look at me at verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. The phrase brought us the good news is exactly the same as saying preaching the good news. In fact, this is the only time this word is used in the New Testament 
when it does not refer to the gospel. Basically, Timothy's report was so encouraging to Paul that it sounded like the gospel to his ears. Where the verse says faith and love, this is referring to their faith towards God and love toward people. Particularly their love in this context for Paul and the fact that their love for Paul had not changed even though Paul was absent. Wouldn't that feel good if you were Paul? People have been lying on you, throwing dirt on your name, trying to discredit you in the eyes of the people who you've invested your life in and poured your life out for. But all of a sudden, your buddy comes back and he goes, hey, Paul, guess what? They miss you, bro. Every time I talk to those Thessalonian Christians, man, they're like, all is, it's just good times. All they can think about is the good that you did. All they can think about is how much they love you and how much they miss you. So all of those lies that people attempted to tear down Paul had not affected those converts. And so Paul was overjoyed. Wouldn't you be? That you wouldn't, they wouldn't allow others to slander Paul's good name because they had seen Paul's good conduct. Verse 7, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. The word comfort here means more than soothing. It means strengthening, and Paul needed it. As we see in this same verse, he says, in all our distress and affliction. I don't think we need to go too deeply into Paul's afflictions. But after being thrown in jail, kicked out of town, chased by the Jews, and finally landing in a city full of idolatry, I believe Paul could use a little bit of strengthening and encouragement. When this verse is completely broken down, what Paul essentially is saying here is, my troubles were crushing me. But when I heard about your love and how you stood firm in your own troubles, it gave me strength. And doesn't that happen in our lives when we hear, even from around the world, when we hear of something that happens in another country of the power of God moving, it strengthens our faith. It strengthens the faith of believers. Verse 8 says, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. In the previous verse, we see that Paul was comforted by their faith. But why would someone else's faith bring him comfort? Because Paul saw his life as being bound up with the life of the church. He didn't see himself as this independent entity. As they moved, he moved. As they hurt, he hurt, right? As we talked about before, how the body works together and the parts. And if one part suffers, all the parts suffers. This is what Paul is saying here. He's saying that I can't just stand outside of that and be okay just because I'm okay. No, I'm hurting with them. I recall this time, but before I go there, let me get to eight. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. We see in verse eight, he says, for now we live. This could really say, for now we really live. Now we can breathe again. Now we have been given a new lease on life. Since you are standing fast or firm in the Lord. I remember this story, this one time, a friend of mine who's still a friend of mine, a close friend of mine. He was actually involved in what I would call a Christian cult. 
Um, and I call it a Christian cult because there were many things that were biblically sound that were a part of this gathering, congregation, group, whatever you want to call it. So there were some biblically solid things. And with most error, there is some truth slid in there, right? That's how the devil works. He's not just going to give you all error. You'll see that too easily. So there was false false things mixed in with what was going on there. So what this particular group was teaching was you have to be a disciple by their standard and not by the standard of the Bible. And so when somebody tells you that you need to be anything by their standard and not God's standard, that's going to go wrong. And that's by definition cultic. Um, And so it was all about legalism and about how you walk and how you talk and how you dress and how you do all of these different things. Um, And he was bound up in it tightly. And I recall when we met this brother that we spent numerous hours, numerous hours with him going through the scriptures, talking about what the truth is about what discipleship is, talking about what the church really is supposed to look like. And it came to this day where there was an event at this church. And we went to this church for this concert. We were going to do some music. And I don't know if you've ever been in a place where it just feels wrong. It just feels evil or feels off. But that was the feeling that I had when I was in there. All of us felt it. And so we get up there to do our music, and as I'm standing there, I want to open up with Romans 1, because I knew that Romans 1 would address some of the issues that they were dealing with within this cult. And so as I did that, now you take this with a grain of salt, literally the words on my page started to swim. And I wasn't, there was nothing wrong with me, I've never seen it again since that day. It's the weirdest thing, and I'm not trying to be spooky spiritual. But this is what happened to me as I was trying to read first Romans 1. Um, so as a result of all of that and him getting an opportunity to experience all of these oddities, um, over the course of time, eventually, our brother got out of that. He came out of the cult, and now he, his wife, and his family are walking with the Lord. They're in church, and they believe the true gospel Why do I share this, though? I share this because if I didn't know anything about the word, I wouldn't have been able to help him. And he might still be in that same predicament. I mean, God is powerful and he can do it without me. He did not need me. He did not need the other brother who helped with that, of course. But God likes to use people. And I'm grateful that I was able to be available because I had the knowledge to be able to share with him, this is wrong, brother. And if we don't know the truth, if we don't know the real, if we don't read these Bibles, if we don't do it, we won't know. And when error comes, we will get swept away. And so as a church, we continually, ongoingly have this opportunity to read our Bible through a year. And if you're not doing the app, who cares? Just read your Bible and try to get through it. Who cares the means by which you do that? But I cannot express to you enough how important it is to know your word and it will save you. All right. The second thing that Paul did was he prayed for them. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 9, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? 
He's saying, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? But even though Paul is grateful, he's not satisfied with their level of maturity. As we see in the next verse, he continually went before God in prayer on their behalf. Verse 10, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. The word earnestly or exceedingly in the King James Version used here is a very strong word that is found only in two other places in the New Testament. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.13 and Ephesians 3.20. This is what's called a double compound word. So what's really being said right here is, I prayed for y'all a whole, whole lot. Or I prayed for you very, very, very much. So once again, Paul's prayer life puts my prayer life and probably a lot of ours to shame. Uh, Just reading that short little piece. See, Paul realized that in order for these new Christians to flourish in the faith, they would need to be equipped for the work of the ministry. And the word of God and prayer are the tools needed to bring this about. Verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Here when he says direct our way, the word direct here means make straight. Essentially, Paul is asking God to remove the obstacles mentioned in chapter 2, verse 18, that Satan had put in his way. Verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. One commentator breaks this verse down perfectly. He says, Paul prays, may the Lord, meaning Jesus, make your love increase and overflow for each other in the Christian community and for everyone else, the whole human race, just as ours does for you. This is how it should be, right? Our love should be so powerful and so mighty within the church that it spills out and overflows into the community. That's what he's talking about right here. We are the salt and light. Verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So in plain English, Paul says, may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father, when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. And by holy ones, this could refer to saints or angels or both. Paul prayed that his converts might stand blameless and holy before God at Christ's return. We know that according to the Bible, that all believers will be transformed to be like Christ when he returns. So this is not a reference to our personal condition in heaven. He is referring to our lives here on earth. We will all one day stand before the judgment seat of God. For the believer, we know that on that day, we won't have to face our sins in heaven because they are remembered against us no more. According to Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. However, our works will be tested on that great day. In order that we would be blameless and holy on that day, Paul prays that they would be sanctified 
right now. And we know that sanctification is a $5 biblical word that's talking about how we become more like Christ the longer we walk with him. So as we read our word, as we pray, as we love others, Jesus is constantly changing us and conforming us into his very image. As I pondered these verses, I couldn't help but be struck by the realization that Jesus himself is continually praying for me in heaven. Jesus is continually praying for the believer in heaven. Look with me at John 17, verses 14 through 26. Turn there if you want. If not, you can just follow along. This is referred to in Scripture as the high priestly prayer. I'd love to read the entire chapter, but for the sake of time and your boredom, I'm going to only read a few verses of this chapter. So starting at (laughs) verse 14, I have given them your word, and this is Jesus speaking. This is Jesus speaking, praying for you, for me. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Look at Jesus doing the same thing that Paul was doing. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So the people that they go out and witness to, he's praying for them, too, that they would know him, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. That's a beautiful picture, and that's an encouraging picture to know that Jesus prayed that prayer for me and that Jesus is continually interceding for me in heaven should bring us great comfort. So what have we seen here this morning? I think we've seen a beautiful picture of two basic, simple things that we as a church can use for each other. All of us can pray for somebody. All of us can encourage somebody. All of us can push somebody to read their word. This is not just a pastoral job. This is something that is for every believer. And so I encourage you to take these simple truths and remember that the word and prayer are enough. I know a lot of times, even in my own life, I face a situation, I face a trial, I face something that's difficult, and I want to do everything but those two things. And then after I get done doing everything but those two things, I eventually break down and go, God, let me do those two things, right? Let me pray. Let me read my word because they are the words of life. So with that, I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to invite anyone this morning who does not know Jesus. If you would like to get to know Jesus, I would be happy to let to talk to you about that. I'm going to stand down front. Um, as the choir comes and sings, and if anybody wants to come for that, or if anybody wants to come because they want to be a member of Highland Crest, 
I invite you this morning to do that. Or if you want to come and you just want prayer, I invite you to do that.